0: You know, everything has changed um, in the days of, like, having a, a text messages and emails. So it came in an email, which was, like, really lackluster of a thing to, like, you know, see something like that. But it was still, like, am I, like, reading this right? Like, did it, is it actually saying that? And then I'm alone in my car, like, what is happening? <laughs> it just feels so surreal. The deals are like that, too. I signed my... The intersection of good drinks, good music, and good times. This is Hops and Spirits
1: Bar Conversations. Welcome into episode 150. I can't believe we've made it this long. Right before I hit the record button, I asked my wife that, and she uh, said yes, she could. <laughs> but I think that's because I've had to kick her out of uh, our very luxurious studio here, live from the dining room table. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun. The ride is far from over. we got a great episode for you this week as we talk with Brett Taylor, country artist, songwriter, out of Kentucky, and we've got just a lot more fun stuff coming up. Uh, and if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, uh, just kind of look over here. You'll see some new things, uh, a whole new look uh, for, for the Bar Conversations as we've tried to elevate us here a little bit as we hit episode 150. And, and also, we got so much other cool things happening. Our Hops and Spirits Kentucky podcast, all things drink, food, art, fun. Uh, happening in Kentucky and slightly beyond our neat mixed series with Brandon and myself where we review uh, new bourbons, uh, other spirits uh, that maybe have a a touch of bourbon uh, to do with them. It's a ton of fun. You don't want to miss those that drop uh, each week. And then obviously com, where you can get all of the, those uh, podcasts and series along with our happy hour Q&As and so much more. And uh, like I said last week, uh, Tasting Notes is no more. We've kind of semi-retired it, and we got something new for you this week. It's called the 4-Pack, and uh, you know what? Let's get into it. This week's 4-Pack is new songs that I like and new is relative here. The first one up is none other than Tanner Adele. She brings plenty of attitude, several lines that cut through for some folks on this one. She's one to definitely keep an eye out on, as she's been putting out a lot more new music lately, too. That's pretty good as well. Up next is none other than Boomtown Saints, Blacktop Don't. And this is fun. Uh, This song just screams summer, getting out and about. Uh, We'll have these guys on the podcast soon. Really looking forward to it, because this is one of my favorite songs that I've heard in a good while. Up next is Josh Melton, Empty Bottles. Uh, as a father, this one hits me hard with my daughter. It brings back all sorts of memories, good memories of that. This is just a damn good song. And last but not least is Brian Martin, Going for Broke. Dude is just super talented. If you haven't yet, you need to give this song and all of his other songs a listen uh, because I see big things happening in his future, and that's this week's 4-pack. And up next, we talk with country artist and songwriter, Britt Taylor. Cheers. Did you know
0: Hops and Spirits is more than just this podcast? Check out hopspirits.com for our latest episode release, past episodes, interviews with interesting folks in the alcohol industry, and so much more. Just go to hopspirits.com.
1: Feel free to wait until this podcast is done. Joining us here for our conversation for our 150th episode, too, she's... Born and raised in Kentucky, living down in Tennessee now. She's a country artist, songwriter. Welcome in, Brett Taylor.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you for, for hopping on. And, and I think usually I start out with all, all my interviews with the same way. And if you're watching the video, I think you might be able to see that she has a drink with her. Got anything <laughs> good tonight?
0: I actually do. I got lucky and uh, found a bottle of, of Blanton's a couple Ooh. months ago. So I decided, you know, podcast, treat myself with one of my good bourbons.
1: <laughs> I like that. I like that. See, I, I've been drinking bourbon so much lately. I was like, you know what? It's summertime. It was warm today. So I decided to, it is hops and spirits too. So I was like, I'll go hoppy side. And one of my favorite summer beers, a little garage beer with uh, with lime. I, I was like, you know what? I need something refreshing tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, uh, I think I could drink bourbon all year, but I do tend to lean towards tequila a lot in the summer.
1: Now, are you a, like a Blanco tequila, a Reposado, Añejo, where, where do you lay I there?
0: Know nothing of tequila. Just, <laughs> if everyone won't give me too bad of a hangover, that's the one. I can talk about bourbon all day long, but I know nothing about tequila.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Now. So, obviously, you got the Blantons. I mean, are you one that has, like, a little collection, or do you kind of have just a couple bottles and then rotate through?
0: Uh, not a big collection. I mean, I keep, like, Makers and Woodford on hand and Basil Hayden, and then, like, I have, a few like, a few good bottles, like Taylor and um, my Blantons. So, yeah, keep a couple of, like, good bottles.
1: You got a couple every day and then a couple special occasions, right? Yeah. Now, now, did you always grow up on, on, on bourbon, or, or was that a little bit uh, later on acquired taste?
0: You know, I didn't start drinking uh, until I got to college. I think, I'll never forget my first shot of liquor, and it was tequila. And my second shot of liquor, uh, I think it was Jack Daniels. And then somewhere along the lines, I was like, I'm from Kentucky. I need to get this whole thing straightened out, and... uh figured out i really liked a good bourbon
1: <laughs> there you go there you go i like it see some things just come natural to, to folks it took me a little little longer but i'm a kentucky transplant so i think that's the problem
0: <laughs> what part of kentucky <laughs> are you in
1: i'm in lexington now and i grew up in uh, west virginia
0: okay. so not too far well we claim west virginia too so we're all tr- and-
1: well it, exactly and i was where I came from, I was in southern West Virginia. Although I did grow up in the northern part too, so you know, I got a nice mix of West Virginia and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I got to ask you this story too, because I was reading about this, and did you really get your very first guitar for fifty dollars because you sang a song that he requested?
0: Yeah, it was it was fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. It was something ridiculous. It wasn't a it wasn't an expensive like nice guitar but i remember it being like a couple hundred dollars or 250 bucks or something um and yeah it was it was 50 or 100 it seems like it was 50 though i don't remember exactly i'll have to ask my mom but yeah i sang for the guy in the store i was like anything like i'm a singer i'm a country singer and like i'll sing you Whatever song you want to hear if we can just have this guitar for this much. This is what my mom said we could spin on a guitar and he was like, Well all right, what song do you know? And I was like, Well what song can you play? And he said he could play Landslide. So he played Landslide while I sang it.
1: <laughs> and afterwards was he like, All right, a deal's a deal.
0: He did and he was so sweet and supportive and kind and yeah, I'll never I'll never forget that.
1: I was gonna say, I mean that's a that's a cool story and what what made you kind of want to to play the guitar? Was it just because you had enjoyed singing and you I wanted to get into to. that?
0: I did not want to. I was like <laughs> very just very lazy. Just wanted I just wanted to sing and perform and and I was playing piano and I always had a hard time like reading music. I wanted to play everything by ear, so I always had teachers kick me out of piano because they're like, "You're not really reading, are you? You're." You're listening and then repeating what we're doing and I definitely was. I'm just terrible I'm just not good at reading music. And uh but the very same guy that like kicked me out of piano um was getting ready to move to Nashville and he was like, Come in here a minute and he like grabbed me out of the hall of the Mountain Arts Center in Prestonsburg where we were, where I was singing and he's like, Just come in here a minute. He's like, I'm gonna show you something. And that you need to know when you go to Nashville because he was about to leave town and I was like okay and he showed me the Nashville number system which you don't want any kid knowing that you want to learn how to read music because if you learn that you'll never learn how to read music and <laughs> you know you just don't need to here in Nashville so he was like there you go and also like what are you gonna do when you get to Nashville you're gonna carry the piano around and I was like I don't know and he said You'll never make it in that town unless you learn to play the guitar. And I left and was like, Mom, I have to get a guitar. We have to go now. I have to learn tonight. Like, we have to get a guitar. And that's why um, I learned. I also think I got get kicked out of guitar classes, and then I just learned to play on my own.
1: <laughs> I, I sense a pattern there with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a bit of a troublemaker, it seems.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Which I think works for, for, for a musician. And, and now, did you come from a musical family? Like, was that just all around you? Or, or were you something like, wait a minute, how did she get the, the musical gene?
0: Yeah, nobody knows. I think, like, somewhere on far down the line, somebody played a banjo. Um, but not that I know. I had very uh, a very crafty uh, grandparent. My dad's mom was always writing poetry. And... Um, just making beautiful stained glass lamps and, and Barbie doll dresses and just extremely talented, but never, I don't think I ever heard her sing. Um, I mean, everybody sang in church, but I don't, I never heard her like sing, sing. And I don't know. I just started singing and somebody noticed and, and, and thank God that I am from East Kentucky and had parents who were like, Oh wait, like she's, she might, there might be something here. And then because of the area I grew up in, there was an opportunity for them to take me to Prestonsburg, to the Mountain Arts Center, get me involved in, in voice coach and voice lessons and guitar and piano and, and start performing on a stage and kind of learning um, what all it was about. And as soon as I stepped foot on that stage, I I just, I haven't stepped off since. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say my my daughter we're hopeful that she gets a musical gene because it's not coming from my wife or I because we can't carry a tune anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> now now I did notice though that uh, you posted this on your social media. I think it was for, for Father's Day. Uh, you did a little little karate back then though. Yep, my a daddy, little family karate uh,
0: <laughs> taught martial arts um, right there on Route eighty, and he. He had a couple of schools when I was growing up. Um, but I, yeah, he was teaching me self-defense by the time I was four years old. So I've been whooping boy's ass since I was real tiny.
1: <laughs> See, a troublemaker from, from even an early start, <laughs> the, the pattern continues. And, and like you said, you know, obviously Eastern Kentucky is, is where you grew up. What, what was it like, you know, growing up down there and, and kind of just being in that culture?
0: I mean it was great. Like I can't imagine the path that my life would have taken had I not been born and raised in East Kentucky because not coming from a musical family who didn't know how to navigate um anything like that. I I just I don't know how I would be here if I if I hadn't been born and raised in in East Kentucky with Prestonsburg and the Mac and the Kentucky Opry. Um, I do think that I would have had a, di- a very different life.
1: Well, and, and obviously, like you said, there's a lot of music down there, there too, and, and folks may not always realize how much music comes out of there. Who were some of your biggest influences growing up? I mean, whether that was the artist or, or, or family or local folk.
0: Oh, my all-time favorite. See, everybody thinks that I'm just saying this because I'm from Kentucky, but in the whole wide world, my all-time favorite is Patty Loveless, Ricky Skaggs, Dwight Yocum, Loretta Lynn, Chris Stapleton, um, and favorite songwriters, Larry Cordle. Like, they're all from that part of the state. Like, not even just from Kentucky, but they're all from a long... The country music highway, US 23, route US 23, or you know, a border county of that route. So, um, the area is just drenched in insane talent. And I always tell everybody for, for all the ones that we do know that made it, that are famous, and we love their music, there's somebody just as talented on their back porch, picking and grinning every weekend. They could care less if we know who they are, and they're just as talented.
1: I was going to say, there might be something in the water down there. I think so. We're in the (laughs) bourbon. That's true, too. Uh, You make a very, very very good point on on that one. And, and, you know, like like you said, you know, those opportunities, was there any doubt that you wouldn't go the musician route with being able to be part of the Kentucky Opry at an early age, getting those lessons and having all those opportunities? Was that pretty much it for you?
0: Yeah. I never thought about anything else. It, It just didn't even occur to me that there might be another choice. Um, I definitely know that I would have been supported had I made another choice. Um, I come from a a fantastic family who, you know, just love me and want to see me happy no matter what I do. Um, But I never, I just never thought about it.
1: Now, now was there ever a moment, because I know for for most they always see the success maybe that you're, you're having nowadays, The journey hasn't always been been smooth for you. Were there ever any points, though, where you were like, "Um, okay, maybe not?
0: Uh, Five minutes ago? (laughs) All all the time. I mean, self-doubt definitely creeps in, you know, more so when I got to Nashville because you get, you know, to Nashville and everybody who was somebody in their hometown is really, really talented. And they're, we're all here to do the same thing, and it's it can be really intimidating when you first get to town. But when you realize that you know everybody's in it together, and um, you see people rise together, like you know Lainey Wilson right now, her and all her friends are rising up together. that have been writing songs and busting their butts for the past seven, eight, ten years, are all rising together. So it's just a matter of getting here and figuring out who your people are, but. Yeah, and then you see stuff like that, too, and you can start to doubt your own path. And It's really, you got to have that tunnel vision to keep um, your focus on your own path and be happy for your people um, that are rising and know that your turn's coming.
1: Well, and I I was going to say, for you, for those that don't know a little bit about your career, you kind of did a big reset, you know, before the the last two albums that you you put out. How big was that for you to kind of step away from it all and kind of just reset?
0: Oh, it was necessary. It was painful, but I just had to, I got here so young. I just, and like I said, I had never questioned doing anything other than music. Um, but I also hadn't questioned what that looks like for me. What kind of music do I want to make? I know I wanted to make country music, but there's so many variations of what that can look like. And I was 17 when I got to town, and I went to school, and then I signed that a publishing deal, which is really today is really hard to get. They they're just a really hard thing to to get. So I was really lucky, and but in that process of of being so young and signing a deal with people that had had so much success and and putting so much trust in them, always that they you know knew better and that I should just listen to them. I just never really thought about what I wanted to do and what kind of music I wanted to make. And so I caught myself on this path of, you know, having a great time and, and making music, but not the music that I grew up on, not anything reminiscent of Patty or the people that I, that I loved and and the sound that I wanted to carry on and make sure, you know, that sound lives on in my own new and fresh way. And I just had to step back and, and quit, at it, it all and and reset
1: well I'm, I'm guessing that had to be a scary time it was ter- it, <laughs> hindsight it looked great it it worked out but i'm sure during then it, it was like what am i what am i doing at times yeah
0: yeah it was terrifying it was my only i was also going through a divorce uh and he was you know the one that had the real job and here i am quitting my job that might not even last for another year you know so it was definitely terrifying but you know i picked up a mop and a and a duster and figured it out
1: well i I was gonna i was gonna say you cleaned it cleaned up all the all the pieces put it back together and and did you really self-finance real me through cleaning
0: cleaning and lots of credit cards yes
1: <laughs> well it seemed I mean it, it seemed like it was a great investment for you though
0: I think so I think it's it's paid off in a, in a lot of ways um I signed an, another uh, deal that's aligned with the things that I'm doing and I got hooked up with 30 Tigers now and Sergio Simpson and David Ferguson and a, a fantastic uh, booking agent and manager and so 100% it pays to to bet on yourself even when you're paying out of your own pocket.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and like you said, when when you were putting that album together, obviously when you're self-financing it, you can kind of do what what you want with what you can afford. What was it like to put that album together, you know, because I, I, it's a great album. I love. I think my favorite one off that's Back in the Fire that kicks it off. I mean, what what was it like to be able to put that one out?
0: Um I don't know. It was, it was so much fun that I forgot to be afraid. (laughs) It was just like, you know, I, I did this all on my own. I called all the people and thank God that they worked with me. And, and, and I just, I don't know. I just followed my intuition and, and it just, I don't know. It worked.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it had to be reassuring too, whenever you started to see the, the positive reaction And and the kind of the accolades and the, 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 not just kind words, but like truth, true, you know, critics going, this is something that people need to listen to.
0: Oh yeah. I think it helped me too, that I went in with the attitude of, I don't really care if this doesn't do shit. This is me following my heart and soul and the path that I was meant to take here. I made all these decisions. I made all these calls. I put all this together. And at the end of the day, I'm proud of this and I'm proud that I took a chance on myself and bet on myself and invested in myself. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And if people were like this, that's awesome. But that's just, a, that's just the icing on the cake that it. So whatever happens, happens. I was just really proud of the, The project I made and so everything after that was just a big old surprise
1: (laughs) (laughs) and good surprises at that I'm guessing
0: I remember waking up um, you know after Spotify updates their their playlists and you know there are things that I wanted but just didn't really know if if it was in the cards for somebody without a label or major distributor and And, uh, but Indigo, I really wanted on the Indigo playlist and I I was like, if I get on that, then I've done something right. You know, I just loved it and, but really just didn't think much about it. And, uh, I woke up after they had posted and I checked my phone and I had an email that was like, your song has been added to Waking Up Ain't Easy has been added to the Indigo playlist and it just blew my mind. And it was that moment that I was like, maybe I'm not done here yet. Like maybe maybe this might work out for me.
1: Yeah, and that you you get to tell tell more more stories and and what's it like for you when you you get to tell those stories through through songs? How does that process work for you? Is it you know going back to real life experiences experiences of others or just some ideas?
0: Yeah, I think you know all my songs have some sort of connection to me in my life or somebody that I know. I don't. I have to, as an artist, be able to relate to what I'm doing, um, or it just doesn't feel right to me. I usually just don't get attached to the songs that I don't relate to, that I can't find a connection to. And so it's really fun to be able to share stories like Waking Up Ain't Easy, because that was a very personal um, story of mine. and, And I wrote it and in the most universal way that I knew how, because I did want people to be able to insert their own stories in, which they have. And that's been really cool to connect with people on that level. And then, you know, with the new record in Kentucky Blue, and especially Rich Little Girl, I get super excited when when there's other women that are like, yeah, rich little girl. (laughs)
1: Well, and, and I, I was going to say, you know, did you always want to be a songwriter, too? Because I, I think I read that, that you were trying to write songs for as long as you can remember.
0: Yeah, I, you know, when I was a kid, I never thought that I would be a songwriter. No, it, it started out with just singing songs that I love, but I would get really emotional about these songs, even like as a four-year-old kid riding in a car uh, with my family to Myrtle Beach you know on vacation and my dad looks over at me and I'm crying and I was sitting in the front seat with my daddy because I'm daddy's girl sitting in the shotgun seat my mom and brother napping in the back on the drive there and I'm crying and my dad's like honey baby what's wrong and I was like daddy that man in the song his baby won't come back to him and my dad called me baby so i'm just wondering it that's the only thing kind of connection that i could think of that would make like a four or five year old cry i was like why won't his baby come back to him daddy why won't it why won't he come back it's such a sad song and it was the sam cook song my baby's gone and she ain't coming back and so i've always had a connection to lyrics it's it's something that i can't i can't listen to music and focus on anything 'Cause I'm focused on what it's saying. And then when I was thirteen, um, I just wasn't good at school, so I just assumed that I wouldn't be a good songwriter. I wasn't good at English or writing. I was didn't get great grades. I like passed you know, I just scooted on by as good as I can, no matter how hard I tried. So I just assumed it, that I wouldn't be good at it. And then I was thirteen and a song landed on me and it just flowed out of me and it and it was structured like every song I'd ever listened to. It just had a, an accidental verse and then a chorus and then I, there was another verse. And the melody came to me and I'll, I will never forget that moment or where I was and what I was feeling and, and songs still kind of just hit the best songs still really hit like that.
1: Well, I, I mean, that like, like you said, the, those connections to songs, whether it's fans to yours or, or yours to others is, is something that's that's really cool when you can see yourself in them.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And, you know, talking about your second, your most recent album, Kentucky Blue, what pushed you to text uh, David Ferguson to help you with that one?
0: Um, I just met with a few producers that I felt like didn't really get what I wanted to do. And I didn't feel like and I was also just terrified to get back into a trap of doing what everybody else wanted me to do. So, being just a little stubborn and aggressive, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to work with these people. I am just going to text Ferg. Like, Ferg knows how to make a great country record. I don't know why we haven't done this already. And because I just met Ferg. Um, when I kind of switched gears and everything, but I got to know him throughout that um, and learn more about him and what a legend he is. And just like one of the last like legends, those outlaw guys that are just so talented. And so I just texted him and I was like, I don't know why we haven't made a record together. Like, w- um, will you make my record? I don't want to make a record with these other people. Like, how about me and you go into the studio and we do this together? And he was like, well, what about me and Sturge will do it? And I was like, Oh, okay and I just texted him I was like are you shitting me right now like I can't handle this okay and uh when I got home he called me and was like all right uh in I was like what what I just kept thinking don't get your hopes up Britt don't get your hopes up like because there's just been so many times I've gotten my hopes up and just got shot back down but man when Ferg and Stirs will say they're going to do something; they do it.
1: And, and what was it like working with those two? Two on the album.
0: It was it was perfect. It was amazing. I uh, wish I could go back and you know do it over and over again because I feel like I learned so much and I feel like I was super quiet during those sessions because I was just watching in awe of everybody and everybody's creativity and just knowing that I was in the room with such legends that, you know, this is the kind of thing that goes down in, in country music history. And just, it was just a really cool moment.
1: And, you know, when, when folks get to listen to Kentucky Blue, what were you hoping that they would take away from it?
0: I, that they would feel connected to the songs, um, that they would be able to listen and either connect uh, with an emotion or, be able to escape their own emotions (laughs) because i think we do we listen to music for one or the other um and that they'd hear where i came from where where i grew up and feel connected to me too
1: now now for some reason i like the first song on both of your albums like those are like two of my favorites right off the bat because i love cabin in the woods what's what's one of your favorite songs? i know you're not supposed to have favorites it's like kids you're not supposed to have a favorite but we all do um, so what's, what's like your favorite song on that album?
0: Um, you know, Kentucky blue is one of my favorites, but rich little girls. It, it's been my favorite from the start and it keeps growing on me too. Like that's the one song on the record that I really wish that, you know, I had all the money in the world to promote it to country radio. Cause I just, when I hear that song, it makes me sad that it didn't get a chance on country radio. Cause I think that, that song deserves to reach more people, and I just think women could use a song like that right now.
1: Uh, that, that's a, a very good point. And I'm guessing if that's a song you love, then you probably just love getting to perform that one, one too as mm-hmm. well. Is there any other songs that are just fun to perform because for whatever reason they either get the crowd going or get the crowd emotional?
0: Yeah, uh, Everybody Likes If You Don't Want to Love Me that one's a blaster to perform we get i let the whole band like take a solo at the end and we we'll just kind of rock out at the end and get the crowd singing along with the ooze and uh that one's always a lot of fun
1: and and you know speaking of getting perf- to perform you got to perform at the opry what was that like
0: oh my gosh it was a dream come true i tell everybody it's If there weren't videos and pictures and people there that witnessed it, I would have sworn it was a dream. It didn't happen. It wasn't real, uh, but it was real. There's videos and pictures and people to prove it, and uh, it was all, it was a whirlwind. It's like, I don't know, it's like getting married. It's like a big wedding. It's hard to remember it all, and it's all so special, and it just goes by too fast.
1: What was it like when you when you got the call to to perform? Was that another moment like are you shitting me? Like is this true? Are you really going to let me do this?
0: Yeah, it's so it was so uh you know, everything has changed um in the days of like having a, a text messages and emails. So it came in an email, which was like really lackluster of a thing to like you know, see something like that. But it was still like am I like reading this right like did it, act, is it actually saying that and then i'm alone in my car like what is happening <laughs> it just feels so surreal and deals are like that too i signed my publishing deal on my phone like you don't go into like this big fancy office and sit at a table with everybody and sign deals anymore you're like signing them on your phone and i signed my 30 tigers deal in line at a willie nelson concert on my phone it's it's just the, the it's the strangest thing
1: <laughs> technology takes the way of the fun of a few things right
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's still really fun because it's like this is hilarious this is crazy <laughs> well
1: and, and you got a story to, to share as well and and i also love to uh, i got to go to railbird uh you know last month <clears throat> and or yeah, earlier this month. I don't know time. Time flies uh, around my house. And uh, what was that like for you to be at that festival? Because not that long ago, uh, you know, a couple months before that, you were in Lexington as well, but you were at the borough, which is a slightly smaller venue.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I was really shocked when I got on that bill. Like, it's kind of the same thing as my, you know, my first record, and trying not to have any expectations. I've just been trying to stay really level-headed and you know there's people out with a lot more records than me that have been doing you know this thing a lot longer than me and it's my first time with a booking agent so like it's okay when you don't get on the big big posters and your name's in the tiny 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 print and then I saw that and I was like oh my lord like this is this is cool all right maybe maybe it's working
1: (laughs) well I mean to, to 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 expand on that point you know, Zach Bryan, he was on the Burl stage in a mid-afternoon slot at one point, you know, and then he was headlining a couple years later. Things can happen pretty quick.
0: Yeah, they can. Anything's possible.
1: And, and what's it been like for you to get to perform festivals, whether it's like Railbird or just other ones and kind of do that versus maybe touring and so forth? Because they're obviously two different different uh, things.
0: Yeah, this is like my first experience getting to do um, festivals like this. And it's and it's so much fun. And you're right; it is a very different vibe going from club to festival, but they're they're both really fun. Like I played a, a festival with Mike and the Moon Prize this past Friday, and then we played a, a club or a barn. It's a club that's a barn, or a barn that's a club, <laughs> one or the other. But um, it was fun going from a festival to a club and the difference. And um, the festivals are fun because you can see everybody in the clubs you kind of can only see like the first few rows so it's always fun getting to getting to look at everybody and and uh sing the people
1: well and then uh, do you ever when you get to go to some of those festivals get to also you know check out some of the other acts too
0: oh yeah like we saw my, our buddy miles miller um who just made a record with Sergio. we got to watch him play we got to watch all the acts um at Railbird, it was a little tougher to get around, and we were doing, like, podcasts and, like, stuff like that, but I did get to catch Ricky Skags, and, I mean, I've, I've watched Ricky a handful of times, and he's just, he's so great. I usually don't bother people like that, like, I don't ask for pictures, I don't, like, talk to them, I am just pretend I didn't see them, so I don't have to bother them. Uh, but Ricky was like walking towards me and I was walking towards him and I couldn't even go a different direction because it would have been weird. <laughs> but, like, I can't not walk I can't walk past Ricky's Skags and not say something. And so I then I just like, I love you. I love you. That babe. little
1: fangirl I moment.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I listen to you all the time with my Babble and I have every one of your records. <laughs>
1: And I'm guessing he loved it all.
0: He did. And I even asked for a picture, which embarrassed me, but I totally did. And I'm great. I'm very glad that I asked these guys for a picture at Railbird.
1: (laughs) So, so next time you're out and about, don't, don't, don't be afraid. They're they're just like you. They're, they're good people that moat believes most.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I've just, I'm I'm never afraid that anybody's going to be rude or anything. Just more of like. Man, I bet everybody's bothered them today. You know, <laughs> I want to bother them, too.
1: <laughs> that's fair. That That's fair. And, you know, as, as you know, Kentucky Blue is, isn't you know, still kind of young, you know, like I said earlier this year, um, are you, is it just more promoting that the rest of the year? Are you back in the studio doing any, anything fun? What, what, what are you allowed to tell me at the moment?
0: Oh, I got all kinds of secrets I'm keeping. Um, because I don't want you to get in trouble
1: on. with your, uh, you know, all your people.
0: I know, I'll get phone calls as soon as this comes out. I have been in the studio um, working on some stuff and not sure when that is going to come out, but um, the rest of this year we'll be finishing that up, promoting Kentucky Blue and, you know, still touring it and trying to introduce it to, to more and more people. There's so many people that, you know, haven't heard it yet. I play shows all the time. They're like, "Oh, I haven't heard of you yet. I don't. I don't understand how I haven't heard this record yet." And uh, so it's really fun uh, when new people get to hear it, just figuring out how to get it out there.
1: Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say that it's got to be fun to share that and, and, and make new fans. And I'm guessing that's what you're, what folks can expect the rest of the, the year is you to be trying to make more fans.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: And then. For those that, you know, are listening very closely to the podcast, you can tell Brit is outdoors. She's kind of maybe out in the country. I've heard it's frogs, dogs, okay?
0: Dogs chew <laughs> on a toy over here. Blue, come here, get in to picture buddy. Come
1: so So uh, am, am I correct that you got a couple acres out down there in Tennessee that you kind of have a little farm?
0: Yeah, just a little over 3. Um most of it's wooded, so it's not too too tough to take care of and um I
1: love it. I was going to say, I mean, how how important was it for you to kind of have a little slice away from the big city?
0: Oh, my gosh. It was so important. I've lived all over in Nashville and Murfreesboro. And when I found this house, it was like, okay, this is meant to be like... And I still feel that way. Like, it's not a fancy home by any means, but the way I talk about it, people just assume it's like (laughs) like this big, like fancy, elaborate woodland home. And it's just like a tiny little thing in the middle of the woods, you know, but it's mine and it's, um, I don't know, it's just so peaceful out here and it's, it's really cool. I love going to Nashville and I love leaving Nashville, (laughs) like both equally just as much to get back here and and now it's even more fun too. coming off, you know, a five day, a two week or three week um tour getting to come home and the peace and quiet in my garden like we came home to tomatoes and zucchini and squash and um so it was it was just really fun. I
1: was going to say so you have a green thumb then?
0: I have a green thumb when it comes to flowers. My husband is better at the garden like the food part of this and the herbs and the cooking
1: well it's a good team it's a good team
0: yeah but i am like i'm the flower girl
1: see (laughs) i I I, I, i'm the one that is really good at doing the dishes and my wife's really good at (laughs) using the grill or or anything else nice (laughs) and then obviously oh go for it
0: it takes two
1: Exactly, exactly. And obviously you mentioned Blue. If you follow Brit on social media, I think Blue has made an appearance or two. How important is Blue to the family?
0: Oh, my gosh. He is, he's, he's like right at my feet, but you can't see him. He's perfect. He's only 10 months old, so he's a new addition. Um, but he kind of came along at the right time. We, we found him in McDowell, Kentucky uh, at my papa's house. And uh, it was kind of just meant to be, and we were trying to think of a name for him. And we were on our way to get him, and I was like, oh, Blue. I was like, his eyes are blue. He's blue. My record's Kentucky Blue. He's Kentucky Blue. (laughs) You hit the trifecta. He was like, you're right. The dog's name's Blue. So we've been calling him Blue McDowell.
1: I love it. I love it. And, And Britt, this has been a blast. Thanks for sharing a drink with me sharing some stories with me and folks if you haven't yet go listen to Kentucky Blue go listen to Real Me I think you will greatly enjoy both
0: thank you thank you so much for having me
1: find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com
0: thanks everybody bye